0: Oh, come let us adore. Him. Oh, come let us adore. Him.
1: From Satan's power we were gone astray
0: Prince of Peace Hail the Son of Righteousness Light and life to all he brings Risen with healing in his wounds Mildly lays his glory by Born to Second birth. Hark! The herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Let's adore Him. Hallelujah. Let's adore. to do
2: You can have a seat. Merry Christmas. I feel like I'm literally in a cloud right now. My head's a little cloudy, but I also just feel like I'm in a cloud. Oh. I want to say Merry Christmas to all the FedEx and UPS and can you would you imagine their job right now? I say go hibernate. Cause it wave two is coming, right? When we send all the stuff back. I didn't really want that. Take it back. So on Thursday morning, I sat down and I Googled the meaning of Christmas. And then I just looked at images to see what it had to say. And I wrote down some of the ones that I liked. So one was this, the meaning of Christmas. And their thought was, before Christmas says hello, it's now saying bye, bye, I thought that was really good. B-U-Y, B-U-Y. So the meaning of Christmas now is, all right, yeah. (laughs) All right, Uh, another one was, aren't we forgetting the true meaning of Christmas? The birth of Santa Claus? And then this one, I don't know what it had to do with Christmas, I just liked it. Or rather, the meaning of Christmas, it was this, Santa saw your Instagram account. You're getting clothing and a Bible for Christmas. (laughs) yeah. So I know the kids are in, so I won't be long. I wanna look at maybe a different view on the meaning of Christmas than we normally get. So if you have a Bible, you can open there. I don't know if you can see, it's a little dark out there. But I'll read it for you. It's Romans chapter five. And then we'll chat for 10 minutes. Romans five, <clears throat> verse 17. Merry Christmas. Nothing like a baby at Christmas. (laughs) Romans 5, 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. section is comparing Jesus. Hi, buddy. You look so good. Man, you look like Merry Christmas. (laughs) So this little section is comparing Jesus to Adam and the work that each of them did. Do you want to come up here with me? Because it'd probably be the best message I ever had if you did what's up, dude? Can you do knuckles? (laughs) Boom. Merry Christmas, buddy. (laughs) I've just created a monster. He's going to be here all the time. So (laughs) get used to it. So first we saw that it talks about Adam and what Adam does. And I'm just going to summarize and then I'll explain what Adam does. Adam doesn't trust God in the best of circumstances and he destroys the world. So if you remember, we were in Genesis for a year. God creates Adam and Eve there in the garden. He puts them in paradise, gives them a job, says, eat of all these trees, just don't eat of this one tree. Gives them purpose, gives them rule and authority, right? It's paradise, it's perfect. And then when God says, don't eat of this one tree, what's really interesting is God doesn't actually explain why they shouldn't eat of that tree. He says, you'll die, but Adam wouldn't have even known what death is. He doesn't give all the details. God doesn't go into, listen, don't eat of this because if you do, Adam, you'll cause there to be poison oak and mosquitoes and murder, and war, and cancer, and genocide, and Snapchat, and Facebook, and Instagram, and all kinds of evil will be unleashed on us, right? God doesn't explain that. Where if it's you and me with, let's say, our children, and we have a hot wood stove, we're going to try to explain it to them so they don't touch it. Don't touch the wood stove because if you do, you will burn yourself. And if you burn yourself, i have to take you to the hospital. And if you go to the hospital, they're going to pull out a big needle and they're going to give you a bunch of shots. So don't touch the wood stove. Right? So we, we explain all the ramifications. God doesn't. Now, why is that? Here's why. I think God wanted Adam to trust him because of his generosity and goodness and his character not to not do that action because of the consequences, which is a much higher kind of relationship. The first is very or the, the second is very selfish. It's about me. The the first relationship though, the one where you trust somebody, means it's so deep and so real that you wouldn't want to do that because of that person. That's what God was after. It's what we do sometimes when we're in a big rush. And we need to have something done and we're leaving. So we'll say to our spouse or our children, hey, would you please take care of this? And if they say why, then what we'll say is this, because I don't have time to explain it to you. You just have to trust me. That means you have a high level of capital in that relationship. And now you're asking, hey, I don't wanna explain this. You know who I am. You know how I live. You have to trust me in this. And what I see in Genesis 2 is God saying that to Adam. Look at all that I've invested in you. I gave you this beautiful place to live. And when he creates them, that's what he does. He gives them Eden. And, and I love in the creation story, when God looks at Adam and Eve, right, right when they're new creatures, newborn, he actually sings a song over them. It's a little poem that's tucked in chapter one. It's like you, when you have a newborn, don't you, don't you sing to him because you love your kids so much? Like there's something about a baby, a newborn human that's like nothing else. So we have had a bunch of foster kids through our home. And right now we have a newborn. Well, he's not newborn, he's four months old, but we got him when he was newborn. His name is Harry. And Harry has taught me, I think, how adoption would work. Because I could totally see adopting him. Because when you have a baby in your home, we're wired for babies, you know that? Just, you want to make a baby smile. And the best thing about Harry is this, he's a really happy baby, so you can make him smile. So when I come home, I told this to Wednesday night, like one of the things I look forward to is seeing Harry and going in and making him smile. And he's really easy, I just do this one thing with him and I act like I'm gonna get him and then he will smile really big and then he doesn't look at me, (laughs) right? And then he'll actually do this and not look at me. And then he comes right back to me, are you still there? And then I'll do it again to him, right? So God sings over Adam and Eve. He loves them. Gives them eat in this beautiful place. Gives them purpose. He, God is saying, Adam, I've spent time with you. I created a nursery, if you would, for you. I've sung over you. Now trust me on this one. Let's have that high, deep, kind of relationship with each other that you'll trust me in this, right? Well, what happens? Chapter three, enter the protagonist, the serpent. And it's interesting what the serpent does because when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, this is what he actually says. He says, has God said that you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden? He doesn't say, has God said you can't eat of that one tree? Adam makes it very broad. If God has said to you, Adam and Eve, that you can't eat of any tree of the garden, then he has said you can't eat of anything. He has been a God that's withholding from you. It's called target fixation. And so when you fix on the one thing God hasn't given to you, which is what we do today too, we believe the same lie. Why hasn't God given me fill in the blank, a wife, kids, a house, power, gifting, healing, and we target fix on that. And once we do, we forget about all the other good things that God has given to us. Why hasn't he allowed you to eat of any tree? God's not good. God's not generous. You should not trust him. And so what happens? Adam and Eve eat of that tree. And when they do, Romans says something happens. Verse 17 says that there's a coup that happens. Adam and Eve were the rightful rulers. They're given power and dominion. Life ruled at that point. Everything was about life. It was life, life, life. But from Genesis 3 on, because of what happened there, verse 17 says, death reigns now. Now every single one of us has looming over us death. All of us deal with death. It reigns now. So something happened in that moment of distrust with Adam and Eve, not trusting God's goodness and his character and his generosity that actually wounded God's creation, dealt it a death blow that opened it up for all kinds of infection of evil and sin. That was the first thing that happened. And then secondly, verse 19 says this. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So because of Adam's sin, it's called universal corruption. All of us that are great, 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 great granddaughters and great, 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 great great grandsons of Adam and Eve, we've inherited from Adam the same corrupted disposition to not trust God and to sin. And if you've had kids, you know this, right? You see in your kids after a period of time, oh my goodness, they're a lot like me. So I asked my son if I could share this story because it kind of shows that yes, sons inherit. Uh, On Wednesday, my son, my 10 year old, had a friend over and they had played for a while and my wife was taking them home and as they're going home, my son is in the back seat with his buddy And my son looked at his buddy and goes, hey, that was really fun today. Um, Yeah, it was really great playing basketball. You played a really good game, man. That was a good game. But what was the score again? Yeah, I had 10 and you had six. Yeah, you played pretty good though. I went, oh my goodness. He is just like his mother. (laughs) Right, we see traits in our kids that they inherit and they pick up from us. They're passed down. And so the Bible says that's what's happened to every one of us, that because of Adam's corruption, it actually has filtered down into all of us. If you don't believe me, just watch a three and four-year-old play together. What happens? They try to steal each other's toy. And if one of them tries to steal their toy, they bite them. Where did they learn that from? Right? Charity and I, if Charity gets the remote, I am not like, give me your hand, ah, ah. Right? What, what it, it's universal corruption. It's just in us, there is something broken. And so the Bible says, this is what happened because Adam, in the best of circumstances, in paradise, where the sun is shining, where he's got a beautiful wife and a great marriage, is in the best of circumstances. Adam does not trust God and he deals to earth a death blow. Right? That, that's the first Adam. And a lot of times people say this to me when I mention this. First How could one person do that much damage? And second, that seems unfair. The first one, I just say, look at our history. How many times has one person done all kinds of damage to the world? A Hitler or a Pol Pot or a Stalin or a Chairman Mao or a Genghis Khan? We have evidence of what one person can do, the evil they can unleash. But the second part, like, that just seems unfair. Romans is saying, theologically, it's so important. It's federal headship, that, that in one, one can stand for something. So if you, if you paid attention, in fact, if you read this whole section, not right now, <laughs> and I won't do that right now, here, here's what you see. You see, over and over, it says this. Adam's disobedience brought ruin. Adam's trespass brought sin. Adam's mistrust broke things. The one did that. But on the other hand, it's saying, Jesus, his obedience healed, Jesus, his trust recreated. So if one can do that much damage, one can also bring this much good. So for me, when I think about the meaning of Christmas and the incarnation, here's what it means to me, a little different lens on it today. It means this, that Jesus trusted God in the worst of situations. He wasn't in Hawaii with a beautiful woman, rather he was born, the Bible tells us, as a vulnerable baby. Adam was full grown when he was made. Jesus was born as a vulnerable baby. Is there any more vulnerable creature than a newborn human baby? Like a lot of other animals, they have teeth when they're born or they can walk right away. A baby, there's nothing more vulnerable. And not only that, he wasn't born in a nice spot. He was born in a cave, probably damp. Manure all around Put in a feeding trough In the worst of situations And it gets even worse than that Because he'll be in a garden Not the garden of Eden Not the garden of paradise He'll be in the garden of Gethsemane Where he knows he's going to the cross In the garden of Gethsemane The worst of situations Jesus sweats great drops of blood And he says this Father if there be any way Let this cup pass by But not my will Thy will be done That Jesus, in the worst of situations, trusts the goodness and the plan of the Father. And that trust in the goodness and the plan of the Father heals the fracture that Adam and Eve caused. It's beautiful. And for me, the meaning of Christmas is this. The incarnation proves that God is good and he is generous that he would allow himself to come down and be born in the worst of circumstances because that's how much he loves you and me. And so Romans 8.32 just puts it like this. It says, if God spared not his only son, but delivered him up on our behalf, how shall he not with him give us all good things? Jesus in the incarnation dispels the lie that the enemy wants to speak to you that you can't trust God and he's not good and he's not generous and he's withholding something from you. It dispels that lie. So my simple question for you on this Christmas Eve 2017 is do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus? The one that can save your soul, the one that heals the fracture, the one that forgives your sins, the ones that gives you, gives you and me the greatest gift ever, which is eternity with him. Do you trust him? And if you have trusted him, are you trusting him now? Because there may be the one thing that you have targeted and fixated on, and it's the one thing the enemy is saying, look it, God hasn't done this for you. Don't do that. In this season, go back to chapter one and chapter two and be reminded of all the good things that Jesus has done for you. And you'll trust him. And that trust is a light that dispels the lies of the enemy. Trust Jesus, that's the meaning of Christmas for me. So Father, I thank you for your gift of yourself to us. I thank you that you'd be so good, that you'd come in the worst of circumstances. Healing, moving, touching, blessing, dying, so that the fracture between us and you would be healed. So the sins that set us apart from you would be forgiven. So the life that we live can once again have purpose and meaning. And I pray for every person in here. I pray that they would have put their faith in the one who is trustworthy and good and generous. And I pray this in your name, amen.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Uh uh-huh. So they laid a baby in the hay. He came here just to say he loves me through my pain. So he came here just to die, so we could see full light. So we could taste sweet waters where heaven and earth collide. Oh. oh, oh.
1: the path of knowledge show and teach us in her ways to go. Reach out.
0: Joy to the world the Thank you so much for that amazing grace. Lord, that you would send your son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could have eternal life starting right now, Father. And so I just pray that this Christmas season, we remember that, Lord, and not just this season and not tomorrow and not the next day, but every single day, Lord, that we would live in a state of Christmas, so to speak, where we just remember the sacrifice you made for us by giving the best gift that you could possibly give on our behalf. So we love you, Lord. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a merry, merry Christmas.